listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This is our sixth and final message in our Stand Firm series through the book of 2 Thessalonians. So go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 with me. I'm calling this sermon, Peace at All Times and in Every Way. How does that sound? We all need some of that, right? Peace at all times and in every way. Well, that is the final thought that Paul ends this letter with. The final thought he leaves with this church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. May now, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we started preaching through this letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians, all the way back in January. And Lee and I preached 12 messages there total from that first letter. We took a break at Easter, and then we had our Forward for Eternity series through Romans 12. And now we are finally wrapping up the second letter. And I'm going to be honest with you. This has really been what I needed in my soul and my spirit in this season of life. It's been a fabulous study for me spiritually. And I, I feel like I get where these Christians were coming from. And I feel like with conversations with many of you, you also relate with the same human doubts and fears and struggles that Paul has addressed with this church. So for those of you who've been with us throughout these, both of these series, week in, week out, you see there's a lot of overlap. And, and Paul has had a lot to say in, in very few words. <laughs> but back on Memorial Day when we started this second letter, we looked at the macro view of what was going on. And if you recall, I showed you the main theme of this letter was woven in and out all the way from the beginning all the way to the very end. And so he started this entire letter back in chapter 1, verse 2, with the same idea. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to end the exact same way. This is a sermon that is on the message of the entire letter. And you're going to get one last dose of it today. Stand firm in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. So, with all that said, everything that we've seen so far in this letter, to have peace at all times and in every way, let's start with this. It's not all on you. It can't be. If it's all up to you, you're, you're just physically not able, you're emotionally not capable of having peace at all times and in every way. None of us are. The only way this makes any sense is to know someone who is greater than us, to know someone who is stronger than us, someone who is capable, the same person we've been singing to, right, this morning already, to know someone who has a track record of working all things together for good. That's the only way. 
So I want to begin this morning with this question. What is it that gets in the way of you and your relationship with God and having peace at all times and in every way? What, what gets in the way of that? I think there's three big, broad categories of, of things here. First one is yourself, right? <laughs> I see some heads nodding already. Do you get in the way? Often we do, right? And the first chapter of this letter addressed this very real problem. For many people, they are not at peace. They struggle with doubt. They have fear because they don't trust themselves. I failed too many times. I'm going to mess it up again. And you consider yourself too weak. If that's you today, may I remind you of what we've already seen laced throughout this letter. That if you were in Christ Jesus, you were bought with a price. It doesn't matter what you've done or how you even feel about yourself. The only thing that truly matters is what God says about you is true. And God has given you, if you're a child of God... You've repented of your sin and believed in the cross of the, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He has given you a new identity. He has given you a new calling. You are now considered worthy. We saw that all through chapter 1. He said it two specific times. You can write it down. I am considered worthy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Listen to this, if you don't remember. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says the same thing again at the end of chapter 2. Look at it with me. Verses 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, he's calling you a brother. You're considered worthy. You're not the same old person who's just stuck in this sin and those same old patterns of, of abusive behavior and substance abuse and, and, and the wrong mistakes and I can't believe I lost my temper again and on and on it goes. All of those things that we do to trip up and fail and blow it. If you know Christ, God doesn't look at you and see that. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He considers you worthy. Because of the work of Jesus. So then, brothers, verse 15, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So if you have been saved by the grace of God, he is not looking at your weaknesses He's looking at the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have a lot to be thankful for right there. That's called grace. And we're going to see a lot more of that as this goes on. Think of it this way. If I had a $100 bill up here, which I don't because I never carry around that kind of cash. I don't really carry around cash at all. But imagine if I had a $100 bill, right? A crisp, picture this in your mind, a crisp, clean, fresh off the Federal Reserve printing presses, $100 bill. 
And then you take that $100 bill, spill some ketchup over it, okay, wad it up, crinkle it up. Somebody spits on it. It's filthy. It has all kinds of diseases all over it. I mean, who knows? I mean, this is a dirty, contaminated, gross, disgusting, wadded up piece of filthy lucre, right? As long as that $100 bill isn't completely ripped in half, how much is that $100 bill still worth? It's still worth $100. You are created in God's image. You are considered worthy through the work of Jesus Christ, okay? So no matter what you've done, how bad you've messed up, how you feel and how you look, he considers you worthy through the love of Jesus, through the grace of Jesus Christ. You have to remember that. That's who you are in Christ. You were considered worthy not because of your own good works, but because of Christ's finished work on the cross. You were created in his image, and even if you feel broken, he will restore you. You receive the grace of God by repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus Christ, and then you are considered worthy. So don't let you yourself rob you of peace, because peace isn't up to you. It comes from him. Believe what God says about you, and don't let your past hold you down any longer. Now, I told you there's two ways that we lose our peace, right? That was the first one. The next one, big category here, I know, but it's the unknowns of life. The unknowns, like what is happening here? Why is this going on? What's going to come from this? And oh my word, I can't believe this could happen. Why did that happen? I don't know why. When you don't know how something is going to play out, it's very difficult to have peace. And actually, in the exact context of this local church, the church at Thessalonica, this is one of the issues, we've gone over this, that was robbing them of their peace. False teachers had infiltrated the body of Christ with another letter, You see that at the very end here. Again, Paul talks about it. Paul says here in the very last couple verses, I signed this letter with my own hand. Here's my mark. Here's my insignia. This is coming from me. Okay? He's referring to this other letter that was written by other people who had wrong motives, who steered them astray and rocked their their foundation and their security by, by giving them false doctrine about the end times. So these people were confused, they were shook, they didn't know what was going on. Now, for most of us in this room, I dare say, it's probably not end times prophecy is the unknown that's rocking your faith, right? It's probably something else, maybe maybe someone in here. We have good news, we have hope in here, this passage for you too. But chances are, you know, you're doing your best, you've made mistakes, you're following Jesus, and you're still not where you want to be. Why is that? What, what is going on, God? It's such an unsettling place to be where you're doing your best. You're trying to follow the Lord, and everything seems to just be against that. It's like we have obstacle after hurdle after battle, one after the next. And I'm just trying to love God and love other people. Why is life so hard? Why did this have to happen? 
Well, here's the first point for you today in the text. We're finally there. Number one, do not grow weary in doing good. Do you see how much this relates with losing your peace? When things don't seem to add up, when your plans shatter, or maybe your plans never even developed and got off the ground, huge obstacle for having peace. And this very first verse, verse 13, directly answers this dilemma. Look at, look at it with me again. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. I have felt this on numerous occasions. I was thinking this week, uh, here we are, right, July of 2023. If, if you go back 14 years ago in my life, I had not even met Julie yet. I was a couple years removed from finishing seminary. I just wanted to be a youth pastor and serve God and do great things with my life for him. Here I was, a 25-year-old who had no good job prospects. Yeah, Gainesville, Florida, I, could, I, could, I had one offer there um, to start a college ministry and a youth group and then like build a, build a college group to support my salary. And those of you who know anything about college students, college students don't give a lot to support a salary, right? Um, so I was like, this one might not work out. Like, uh, I don't feel like moving to Gainesville right now. I had nothing going on. And for those of you who are a Christian who, you know, you're, you're 25 years old, I mean, that may not sound like that old to many of us in this room. Like, a lot of people nowadays get married later and later in life. But I felt like all of my friends had gotten married. Everyone else is getting these good positions. Everything is going great for everybody else according to their plan. My plan's not even shaping up at all. It's a dead, I mean, there's nowhere to go here. Like, God, what are we doing? Like, what am, what am I doing wrong? Even back then, I wondered if I needed to just, like, go to the mission field as a single guy and, you know, never get married. Like, is that, is that what God has for me? I learned that lesson all the way back then 14 years ago, and I've kept learning that same lesson throughout these last 14 years. Over and over and over again. Even right now, our church is moving locations, and God has richly blessed us here. He's amazingly answered a prayer to provide another location for us for a short term, for a couple months. But we don't have the answer yet of the next move. It's unknown. It's a little unsettling if you, if you, if you don't look to God and you don't trust him. And if it's all on you. So what is it for you? I know there's something in your life right now. There has to be an unknown in your life right now where God has not given you that full answer yet. You're still taking another step of faith, not knowing where that step of faith is going to lead you. What unknowns have the potential to rock your faith? And when you're asking, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? Why is God allowing this? What's the answer? Well, I just have read you one verse so far, and then the next verse is not going to give us the answer, right? So here's the thing. It's not directly in our face right now, yet. Now, Paul is wrapping up this letter. He's exhorting them. and it's, This is almost like he's saying it in a pat-you-on-the-back sort of way, like, don't grow weary in doing well. You know, keep it up. Keep your head up. Um, he's not, it, does, it almost seems like he's not directly giving them a solution. It just seems to be something you have to do. 
It's on you. Don't grow weary in doing well. Do good and keep it up. Or at least it seems that way. There must be something we're missing. And I'll give you a hint. He's already talked about it, and he's going to talk about it again. So this point isn't over. Hang tight, and I'll get back with you on this, all right? <laughs> Let's keep moving forward in this passage to see if we can get a more clear answer. And I told you there were three ways that we can lose our peace, right? Ourselves, unknowns. The third one is other people. Other people. Maybe you're asking God, where is the justice? My justice meter is going off. These people are getting away with murder. Maybe not actual murder, but you know what I mean, right? It's like it's basically murder to my spirit and my soul, emotionally manipulative. What they've taken from me is not fair. All I'm trying to do is the right thing. I'm trying to be the right type of person, to be friendly and kind and loving. I'm putting myself out there only to get rejected and smacked in the face. That's really hard. That's very, very difficult. That can shake you up. This is the third way that we struggle with peace. It's when other people do wrong, which is always going to be ever-present in the background, right? There's always someone else messing up. So talk about stealing your peace. There are people who suck the joy right out of life. And this is where the second point this morning comes in because we have a lot more verses to get into. What are you supposed to do with people like that? The answer may surprise you. Number two, point two, have nothing to do with naysayers. Look at the text. Verse 13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Really? Is that right? Can we do that? <laughs> We talked a little bit about this last week. But last week I told you the three different times that you were commanded to separate from someone. If you recall, we had false teachers teaching false doctrine. That was, that was one. Number two was a person claiming to be a Christian that is in, in an unrepentant, sinful lifestyle. 1 Corinthians 5 talks all about that. And then the third category of a person that you were to separate from and to not associate with was someone who does not work. A Christian who does not actually work. Raises the stakes on working hard a little bit, doesn't it? But I talked there about this quasi-fourth category like this, uh, where you have someone who is abusive, manipulative, someone who is actively tearing you down. And we talked about how numerous times in Scripture, you're not supposed to just subject yourself to that punishment. You need to get away from people like that. So here we go again. And the Bible talks more about this than you would think. 
as much as possible, so much as depends on you, live peaceably with all people. You can't make peace with everyone. Sometimes you have to step aside. Now, the Bible says you are always to forgive, right? But you can only forgive if someone actually confesses wrongdoing. To make it, to, to really forgive them, they have to confess. You can be ready to forgive in your heart, but unless someone repents, you cannot actually have full restoration because you cannot forgive that offending party. The offender has to repent, and the offended party needs to forgive. But there's a lot in Scripture about people who you simply can't work with. They are not good for you. And sadly, these people sometimes even exist in the body of Christ, the big C church. They can, they can even go as far as using Scripture to manipulate you to get their own way. They will do everything they can to appear spiritual, but they are really looking out for their own best interests. Now, should we be filled with grace? Absolutely. Should we be ready to listen, ready to hear? Uh, you better believe it. But there comes a time when you've done everything you can with someone. You've warned them. You've sought peace and reconciliation to the best of your ability. But they have pushed it away. And more often than not, with people like this, they will find a way to spin it around on you like you're the problem. Here's just another way of saying don't cast your pearls before swine. You have something valuable. You are valuable. And you can't fix everyone. If you can't make people see the truth, you can't make decisions for them. So what are you left with? In this church of Thessalonica, Paul says, look, you have to, if they're not obedient to what we're teaching is the truth, you have to take note of that person and have nothing to do with them. Walk away. Now, you can still pray for restoration. You better be doing that, absolutely. Um, many times, when this is with a loved one, this is excruciating. But sometimes, having nothing to do with them and in, in, in pulling away, pulling back like this, is the only way that God can communicate to them that something is wrong. I mean, it's not the only way God communicates to them, but it is one of the ways God communicates with them that something is off. And that is actually the loving thing to do. There's someone that, uh, that I listen to from time to time. Uh, her name is Liz Wheeler. She's actually a professing Catholic. She's very involved politically, so obviously I don't agree with everything she says, but... I came across a speech of hers this week to a group of college students. And in this speech, she was actually talking about whether or not you should address someone with their preferred pronouns. She asked the students, have you ever felt like it was unkind or rude to not use someone's preferred pronouns? And I'm not going to go into the entire speech. It was very nuanced, very gracious, very, very detailed. She covered a lot of ground in this. Uh, it's a subject worth, worth diving into and researching. I don't have time to go into all of that right now in this illustration. But her thoughts were gracious and sensitive. And here's in a nutshell where she landed. We all want to be compassionate. We want to be nice. But to truly be compassionate 
You have to be loving. And then she started making the case how using someone's preferred pronouns and buying into a lie that has a lot of baggage associated with it that can destroy people's lives is not a loving thing to do. And it got me thinking. With people who hurt you, and this isn't, the, this isn't a perfect illustration of exact overlap parallel here, right? Like, just follow me. But we're back to people who have hurt you, sometimes even in the church, and you can't always make it right on your own. There are times when the loving thing to do is to say the hard thing that someone doesn't want to hear. And if someone is to continue in disobedience and they are a Christian, the loving thing to do is to show them your disapproval. That's what this phrase, that he may be ashamed, is talking about. It's not like you're some Karen out there running around shaming people. You should be ashamed of yourself. No, no, we're not talking about that. This is a toxic person who's negatively bringing you down. Maybe, maybe they want to abuse substances. Maybe they give you all the excuses in the world why it is fine. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe you've tried to talk through it. It's gone nowhere. And now as time has gone on, it's gotten worse. Well, here's what you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to pretend that it's all good and everything's completely fine. You're not supposed to cave to that pressure and to continue to subject yourself to a hellish environment in a, in a hellish nightmare, relationally. You are to withdraw and have nothing to do with them so they can feel that something is wrong. So when I was listening to that Liz Wheeler speech, which was, like I said, it was very gracious, very thoughtful, even though this is a sensitive subject, um, it, was, it started talking about the agenda that was going on behind the scenes. And something that she mentioned in that speech was a stat that I was blown away by. I was, I was completely shocked. But you're never going to hear this in mainstream media. But 30% of people who've transi- transitioned genders, 30% try to reverse back, try to go back. What does that tell you? It says a lot, right? They regret their transition and they attempt to transition back. The gender lies right now are evil. They are demonic. They are destroying people's lives. They promise hope and security and peace and they fail to deliver. People with gender dysphoria need help. What they really need is love and compassion. They need peace and hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. So here's what I wrote down. I just jotted this down in my notebook as I was listening to that speech. To be compassionate, you have to be loving. And to be loving, you have to be true. We all want to be sympathetic and nice. But people need compassion more than they need sympathy. And they need love more than they need niceness. Do you see that? You can do that out of grace. Out of love. You can hold the truth. And I'm not trying to tell you here you need to estrange yourself from family if you don't have to. Especially if you're dealing with, especially if you're dealing with a lost person. This is where we really probably should go back to 1 Corinthians 5. Because this passage in 1 Corinthians 5 is about 
restorative church discipline, which really is, this is partially the same thing. These have a lot of overlap. They're basically saying the same thing. Um, I mentioned this passage last week. I think we should turn there this week. Go ahead. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to read verses 9 through 13. Just so you can see another passage in Scripture where we, we have the same idea. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. Okay, right? We're not talking about lost people. That's the way they live. That's who they are, right? Like, we have to... We have to show them the love of Christ. We need to have relationships with them where we can witness to them and give them our hope that sustains us, of course, right? So, but now, verse 11, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one for those inside the church it is, excuse me, it is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. If there's someone who claims to be a brother in unrepentant sin, then you have to deal with that. And right here in 2 Thessalonians, back to our original text, if there is someone who is a naysayer and they are disobedient, they are causing problems, they are stealing your peace, take note of that person and walk away. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but it is very clear in this text. I didn't choose to talk about this. It's right here. You are under no obligation to play their game. And sometimes it's healthy for them to feel that things are off. It's not because you don't like them or can't stand them as an individual. It's to reinforce the truth that the church holds. The socialization things that aren't there, if that changes and it's not the same, well, sometimes that's the only thing that shows them they're missing something. It reveals the gravity of what's going on. So, we're going to put a wrap on that, that verse. I've addressed the three ways that we can lose our peace. It's ourselves, it's the unknowns, it's other people. But what we haven't answered yet is that nagging question. How can you not grow weary in doing good? And the answer is right here. Not only is it here, but it's just about on every single page of Scripture. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Peace comes through who? There you go. It's not something you do because you're just good at it. I'm really good at, you know, working through things and, you know, 
not having a problem about stuff, like I, I cannot grow weary in doing well, I can do this on my own. No, no, no. It only comes through the Lord himself, the Lord of peace. And it's a gift. And how do you get this gift? What does verse 16 imply? You get this gift when you are with him. Do you see that? And this is the last point today. This is how Paul emphatically ties a bow on this entire letter. Point number three, stand firm through Jesus Christ. Only through the grace of God and the peace of God can we not grow weary in doing good. It's right there in verse 17. We just saw the Lord of peace be with you in verse 16. And in the last verse, we have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And like I said, this is the message of the entire letter. Our entire Stand Firm series is right back here where it began. Stand firm in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can you be secure? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. That's how you find security. How can you have peace at all times and in every way? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 16 and 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's that simple. Some people feel like it has to be on them to get this. And this is dipping back into last week for a second. You know, some people hardly ever work hard. They rarely ever exert themselves for something noble and worthy. They are lazy. And it's one of the most slept on themes in scripture. You should be working hard. Do not grow weary in doing good. Right on the heels of do your best. Get out there and make something happen, right? My daughter Monroe, she's four years old. For those of you who don't know, uh, she got bitten by fire ants like... A year ago, and, and it's one of her greatest fears in life is to be bitten by fire ants again. And every time we're outside, she has to get her shoes on because she does not want to be bitten by ants, right? And uh, lately, I've been talking to Monroe about the difference between the red fire ants and the black worker ants, okay? And it's a great example to teach her, like, hey, you know what? The black ants, they're actually good. Think of that, that verse in scripture. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, right? The, there's no one giving the ant like money to do this job to work hard. It's just ingrained in this ant, even though, you know, I mean, they work incredibly hard. They lift, they lift things that are like, who knows how much more than their body weight. I haven't been in science class in a long time, so I don't remember the specific, right? But ants carry way more. I mean, fourth graders in the room probably remember this better than I do. But they work hard. And I, I've told Monroe, like, no, you don't have to worry about black ants. They're good ants, okay? They're worker ants. They work hard. They're doing good things. They're providing. They're building a home. Like, they're not going to bite you. Because they're working hard. 
Some people don't work very hard. And they're consumed with the affairs of this world and the problems of life. And, the, and, and then some people work really hard at the wrong things. Foolish things that don't have eternal value. Life is full of hard work. And it is a marathon, not a sprint. And this is why it's so important to pace yourself and not grow weary in doing good. But the only way you pace yourself spiritually is by keeping an eternal perspective. Looking at the big picture. What has God done in and through you? What does he want to do through you next? And what is he going to accomplish? And you can be a part of that. So what is the motivation? It needs to be, I want to bring glory to God. I want to show God's glory, his truth in this world. It's not my glory. It's not my kingdom. There's always going to be a shelf life to that. And it's always going to get old eventually. I was reading about the classical composer Franz Josef Haydn. Haydn? Haydn? You get those musical people know who I'm talking about. I think it's Haydn. So he lived in the mid-1700s into the early 1800s. He wrote some beautiful music, classical music that people still enjoy to this day. Look it up sometime if you don't know who I'm talking about. But he wrote about what kept him going even when he felt like calling it quits. This is what he said. Often when I was wrestling with obstacles of every kind, when my physical and mental strength alike were running low and it was hard for me to persevere in the path on which I had set my feet, a secret feeling with me whispered, there are so few happy and contented people here below. Sorrow and anxiety pursue them from everywhere. Perhaps your work may someday become a spring from which they, the careworn, may draw a few moments of rest and refreshment. So what kept him going in writing all that beautiful music. Do you think Haydn was a Christian? It certainly sounds like it, doesn't it? And the more you read him, he was not doing it for his own glory. He was being led of the Spirit, empowered by God to do something for God's glory. And that Austrian composer who wrote music over 250 years ago created music to be a blessing to others. He worked that way to be a blessing to others. And that motivation and that work ethic only comes, that kind of work ethic only comes from God. Worship team, you can come up. The only way you can avoid the weariness in your own well-doing is through the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. And that's the message today. It's a very simple message. This is how you stand firm. Not on your own, your own strength, your own willpower. No, but by the grace of God, you do this. So this letter, it's all about finding security, and peace in this wild life down here below the heavens. And the only way you're going to fully find that at all times and in every way is to receive the gift of the Lord himself, the Lord of peace, and receive that grace that he gives you. 
For the Lord of peace be with you and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And, and, and then when you have God, when you know God, how do you walk with Jesus, okay? Like this is not very complicated, but it's, but it's important to emphasize this. If you want peace at all times and in every way, what do you need to do to know God better and deeper? You need to be in his word. You need to be with his people. And you need to go out and do something for him while you are leaning on his strength. Getting active and involved in the, in the cause of Christ for which you are made worthy is the answer. It gets your eyes off of all these like temporary failures and these, these, this small game stuff down here that can take so much of our time and can consume us. Focus on the big picture that God has for you. Focus on God's glory. You get in his word, you get with his people, and then you get out there and you go do something for his glory. Relying on his grace to sustain you. Knowing that he has you in his arms no matter what life may toss your way. Another pastor from church history, J.H. Jowett, made this statement about grace. I want you to think about grace a little bit here. Grace is vast, it's deep, it's endless. You know the verse, right? Grace upon grace. It's overflowing. It's like that cup. You're pouring, you're pouring a liquid into it. And it's just flowing down the sides and you keep pouring. And it's still pouring over. This is what Jowett said. Grace is more than a smile of good nature. It is not the shimmering face of an illuminated lake. It is the sunlit majesty of an advancing sea. I love a good like lake, pretty peaceful lake, right? The sunrise coming up over that, that's, that's amazing. But you can see to the other end of the lake more often than not, right? God's grace is never ending. It's the majesty of looking out into the ocean there's no end in sight. I could never swim that far or ever imagine getting to the bottom of this. It is ceaseless and endless. That's the grace of God. God's grace is unmerited. It's unlimited favor that shines upon us all the time, all along the way. Grace upon grace and then some. And that's how you can have peace at all times and in every way. Because of his grace that is always there for you. We are all going to trip up, stumble, get our eyes off Christ. But the secret is just to get back up, let him lift you back up, walk with him, and enjoy that gift of peace when you walk with him. As John Newton wrote, through many danger, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. I want all of you in this room to have peace at all times and in every way. Sometimes all that you can do is go to God. Lean on Him. I've heard it this way. Sometimes the most you can do is all you can do. Do your best, and he will do the rest. Like we sang earlier, he will bury 
my burdens in his fields of grace. He makes a way in the wilderness, right? The wilderness. The wilderness doesn't have any paths. It's, it's untamed. There's, there's no way out. You get lost in the wilderness. There's no clear path. He will make a way in the wilderness. And as we read this morning in the Psalms, he will make a river in the desert. That's his grace. It's all about falling on his faithfulness. When we come to him, he does the rest. Would you stand up with me? Let's sing. We are going to stand firm as a church in the grace and the peace that Jesus brings. Let's sing to him that very truth right now. reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.